Well, the minis are going to head out for their groups, or they may already have gone. They go, oh, well done, minis. <laughs> um, and we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And uh, it'd be brilliant to have that open in front of you. I'm going to read from verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It might be useful for you to know, just before I read it, that Cephas, there's a character called Cephas, that's the same person as Peter, Peter, who is the apostle um, who lives in Jerusalem. All right, so uh, that's who he is. So verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. By the way, just in case you're really new to this, the I is Paul, the man who's writing this. Okay, Paul, another apostle. Cephas, Paul. Peter, Paul. Right. But before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. All right. Mostly today, we are going to be talking about justification. That's our kind of big theme. And really, it's not just a big theme of this little bit of Galatians. It's actually one of the big themes of the whole letter, justification. You'll notice he uses that kind of language a lot. You know, we're justified, justified like this, and justified like this, and you're justified, and we're justified, and you're not justified that way. There's lots of justification going on. Now, I appreciate that starting my talk by saying we're going to talk about justification will probably have one of two effects on you. It might make you think, this sounds completely from a different world and completely irrelevant to anything to do with my life. I mean, you, you probably, you may well be sitting there going, I'm not even sure what justification is. 
If that's you, you're so welcome. There are lots of people in this room who aren't sure what justification is. That's okay. We're going to work it out. We're going to see what Paul says. It might also be that you're someone who says justification. I know all about that. I've heard that before. Very used to this. I've been around. This is going to be same old, same old. Actually, I want to challenge you, if that's you and your natural reaction, to say, would you allow the Spirit again to show you this truth of justification? Perhaps to show you something new, something more, something different, something wonderful. And so whether you know very little or whether you think you know quite a lot, I wonder this afternoon, would we be willing to say, Holy Spirit, I want to learn to be changed. And of course, you might be tempted to think this is going to be quite intellectual, right? If we're going to talk about, use words like justification. No, 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 not at all. Because you have to understand that the bit we've just read doesn't start with a theological disagreement. It doesn't start with an intellectual debate. Did you notice what it started with? It started with an argument, but not an argument between two people arguing about theology. It started with an argument about who you're going to eat with. Here comes Cephas, Peter, from Jerusalem. He arrives in Antioch. Peter is a Jew. He arrives in Antioch, and he eats with the Gentiles, and they eat together, and there's this wonderful table fellowship. But then something happens. And Peter begins to draw back. He begins to move away from the Gentiles and only eat with the Jews. And when Paul sees Peter behaving that way, Paul says, no. Because justification is at stake. So what we're going to see this afternoon is that if we can get clear what justification is about, it will affect who you're prepared to eat with. It will be that practical. Not just leaving it, oh, that was interesting, but leaving saying, I need to eat with different people than I normally eat with. That's what justification does, and that's why it should excite us, and that's why it should change us. Now, let me give you a caveat. Having said all of that, we are not going to get to the bottom of justification today. It is a massive issue. And actually, there's lots and lots of ideas and thoughts and themes and different ways that it's described. <laughs> Honestly, I could take you to books after books after books that are written about justification. What we're going to try and do is we're just going to try and look really carefully, what does it say here? And we won't get everything, and we won't necessarily understand everything, but what if we understand something? That would be good, right? If we could just move forward a little bit, that would be progress. So that's what we're going to do. But before we get into the detail of this passage, I want to kind of show you where we've come in this book. Because one of my real passions for us as a church family is that this book of Galatians, we sort of get a feel for it. If you're here every week, I want you to get a feel for it. So this is how it's, right, this is the first time we've done this. That We're going to do this every week from now on. So by the end, hopefully you'll get this. This is basically how the book of Galatians goes. It is all about one gospel. There is one gospel. It's the gospel about Jesus Christ, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who rules and reigns, the one who sacrificed himself for our sins, the one who rescues us, the one who lives for the glory of God. There is one gospel, and it's all about Jesus. 
But what happens in Galatia, these churches that Paul is writing to, is that there's been some people turn up who preach another gospel. But it's not really another gospel because there isn't another gospel because there's only one gospel. So let's call this the no gospel. And so you have one true gospel and the no gospel. And Paul, as he looks at this church, he hears reports that the church is deserting the one true gospel and turning to another gospel, which is no gospel at all. Deserting. And Paul, as he hears this, is so sorrowful. And then he says to them that the reason you can trust this one true gospel is because the gospel that he preaches didn't come from him. It came from Jesus Christ. This is what we saw last week, right? This was the main theme last week. It was revealed from Jesus to Paul. That's how you can trust it. It was this gospel that transformed even Paul. So you can trust that this one true gospel is the only gospel. It's the true gospel because it came from Jesus. And that was all the stuff we saw last week about long stuff about Paul saying it came from him, not from me. But now, tragically, in our passage, we discover that it isn't just the church in Galatia that's turning to another gospel, which is no gospel. Even Peter is. Peter, in this moment, deserts the one true gospel, and turns to the no gospel. Now, we need to understand why. Why would Peter do that? And this is the first big point, right? This is verses 11 to 13. If I could sum up verses 11 to 13, I'd sum it up like this. It's the powerful pull of being special. The powerful pull of being special. There is something so intoxicating and so alluring about being special, isn't there? And Peter, as he comes to Antioch and he eats with the Gentiles, suddenly this group turn up, it says they're from James. Now they are claiming the authority of James, who's an apostle back in Jerusalem. They're claiming that falsely because this is not what James taught. But they're saying, oh, yeah, we're from James. And so they come and they say, oh, Peter, you shouldn't eat with the Gentiles. You're a Jew. Peter, you're special. You're not like them. Don't eat with them. And there's something in Peter that is flattered by that. Or not just flattered, actually, the language here. Let's try and stick exactly to what the text says. When they arrived, he began to draw back. He separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. He was afraid because his reputation was going to be harmed. He was afraid because he was going to lose the approval of this group of teachers who'd come from Jerusalem. So I want to dig into this and try and, try and get this into, into our minds. So let me try something. I don't know if this is going to work. We'll have a go, right? Just go with this. It's going to be fun. I want you to imagine a, um, a very wealthy individual. Let's call her Barbara. I don't, I don't know why. There she is, Babs. Babs the billionaire, right? There she is. And Babs's particular passion is wildlife, wild animals. She loves it. She loves it. She loves wild animals. And so she decides she's going to set up a sanctuary 
but she knows that she can't really do everything for every wild animal on earth. So she picks one. She picks zebras, right? Babs loves zebras. And so what she does is she sets up this amazing sanctuary for zebras. It's like a, like a massive area that's just set aside. And it's just, it's like zebra heaven. It's got everything a zebra would ever need. And any zebra can come and be part of this wonderful reality. And they do. And here are the zebras, and they're all there, all stripy. <laughs> and they're running around having zebra time. And they're making such a happy, they're having such, they're doing zebra things. And the thing that defines who can be in is if you're a zebra or not. It's wonderful. National anthem, the stripes and stripes. You know, they're kind of, they, that was very poor. The tragedy of that is it means I've actually thought about this a little bit, which is <laughs> slightly unnerving for you. Anyway, so here they are. They're in this thing. But, you know, Babs always had a bigger plan. Babs always had a bigger desire than just zebras. She always wanted to do more. And really her dream was from there to create a much bigger sanctuary. And one day she comes to her zebras and she says, listen, zebras. And they, go, Woo! And they say, yes, Babs, what? They say, listen, I have wonderful news. You're moving to a bigger enclosure. <gasps> wow. It's going to be even better than this one. It's wonderful. It's magnificent. They go, this is so exciting. And then she says, and even better, all the other wild animals can be there too. The giraffes can come in. You see, up until this point, when the giraffes come near the sanctuary, the zebras look and go, uh-uh, spots, not stripes. You stay out there with zebras. And they move to this new sanctuary, and it's wonderful. And now the giraffes come in too. And initially, it's great. They have a wonderful time jumping around until you can begin to imagine what happens, right? The zebras begin to feel, hang on a second, we've lost something. We've lost that sense of being the special ones. We've lost that sense of being the only ones, the, the kind of the elite. And so the zebras begin to say to the giraffes, of course, you know, we're, we're the originals. We are the originals. You know that, don't you? You're not, you're not really as worthy as us to be here. And the giraffes, but the, the zebras tend to just hang out with other zebras. They don't like to mix too much with the giraffes because actually the giraffes make them feel a bit uncomfortable being there. And the zebras become increasingly turned in on themselves. And some of the, zebra, and some of the giraffes say, well, can't we join with you? And they said, well, you could if you became like us. You'll need to get some stripes. Why don't you get some stripe tattoos? And why don't you stop being so giraffey and be a little more zebral? If you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, then I, I can only apologize. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to paint a picture to help you understand. Look, it's not perfect. I know it's not perfect. But there is a God in heaven 
who so loves humanity that he had a great plan to save, to create a beautiful new humanity. And it started, as Lily started our service, with his special people, his treasured possession, the Jews, the Israel of God, where he came to them and he said to them, you are my people and I love you. He saved them by grace, right? It wasn't because there was anything special. It wasn't there was anything better about them. It was just that he chose them. It was them. It was, he set his affection on them. And he gave them his law, and his law was good, and it told them how to live in this place, this sanctuary called Israel. And there were God's people, and they were precious to him. But God's plan was always bigger than that. It was always bigger that this sanctuary that was for this one nation would become the sanctuary that is for all nations. Because actually what the illustration with the zebras doesn't quite capture is that there was a problem. And we're going to see that problem more in the coming weeks. I haven't got time to explain it all now. There was a problem with the law and the people of God. But for now, what I want you to understand is that the the Jewish nation, they they had this wonderful privilege. And the law of God was such a good thing. And they were marked out. And one of those ways they were marked out is that they were circumcised. I <laughs> don't know why that had to do it at that particular point, to emphasize that. If you're not sure what circumcision is, let me tell you, because sometimes people don't know. It's when the male foreskin is cut away. And it was a way of marking out God's people. And they had these markers, these things which said, This is God's people. These are the people that God approves of. These are the ones that God says, yes, you're mine. But his plan was always that that would grow. And so his purpose was that through Jesus, God would take that sanctuary and enlarge it and make it bigger. We're going to see how he does this in the coming weeks. And then he would welcome in all, all animals of all sorts, Gentiles, all people to come. And the question is, how does it now work when you have the Jews and the Gentiles together in this one new people? And at first it went great. Peter was like, yes, this is amazing. Look, we can be together. We're one. God's made this new humanity. But actually, over time, what happened was some of them realized they'd lost that special status. And so there was a group who began to say to the Gentiles, no, you need to become like us. You need to become Jewish. So you need to get circumcised. Now, I realize this is a long way, probably, from our sort of issues and problems. I get that. But we'll get to why it matters to us in a minute. You've just got to understand the issue at this point. And so Peter began to pull away from the Gentiles. And before we go any further, um, I just want to apply this and say we would be kidding ourselves if none of us in this room, if we pretended that we weren't tempted by the same thing, to be special. We love to be the ones who are special. We love to be the ones with inside knowledge, right? This is why gossip is so powerful. 
Because gossip is about me knowing something that you don't know. And me being the one who's on the inside. You know WhatsApp groups? I was horrified to discover the other day when my son, my eldest son, said to me, Dad, you know that every WhatsApp group you're in has another WhatsApp group within it, which is for the people who really matter. How to make your dad utterly paranoid? I don't think I'm in any of mine, any of those. You know, there's, there's, yes, there's this WhatsApp group, but then there's the WhatsApp group within the WhatsApp group. I don't know if that's true. But if you're in one of those, you need to stop it. And you need to let me in, because it's not on. But we'll find all sorts of ways to make ourselves feel special. We love it when people flatter us. We love it when we're given jobs. We love it when we're asked to do things, because it gives us that sense we're on the inside. We're insiders. We're part of the in crowd. And actually, if we're honest, we will feed behaviors that exclude some people so that we can be included. Honestly, this is so exposing of our hearts. I can think of times in my life when I have acted in such a way to push others away so that I get noticed. That's shocking. That's what's happening here. Anything where I'm trying to say, I'm the special one because look at me. Look at what I do. Look at my place. So we love getting asked to be on things, to be in things, to be part of things. And our church family is no different. We're kidding ourselves if, it, if we think it is. It means that every single person in this room, you will either feel, if you're regularly part of Globe, you will either feel like an insider or you will feel like an outsider. Just depends where you are. It depends your personality. It depends your experience. It depends kind of how you relate to church. And when Peter gets the opportunity to be the insider, he takes it because he's afraid of missing out. And notice that Peter hasn't changed his doctrine at this point, right? It's only his behavior. His behavior is shaping what he does. And his, you've got to realize this, our behavior often leads before what we believe follows. We like to think that, oh no, what I believe is what I do. That's not often not true. What I do is often what then shapes what I believe. And so I act in this way and then I begin to justify it. So because I want to be kind of elite, because I want to be part of the in crowd, I'll then find things in the Bible that say, oh yes, but look, actually it does say here that this is a right thing to do. And we begin to justify our wrong actions by changing our beliefs. So let me say to all of us in the church, let's watch out for this. Let's hate this. This is the no gospel. This is not gospel. And the tragedy is that as Peter begins to go down this road, the other Jews joined him so that even Barnabas was led astray. Now, you may not be amazed about that, but honestly, even Barnabas? Barnabas, who was one of the most Jesus-loving, generous-hearted people that the world has ever seen, who was one of the first to ever recognize God's work in the Gentiles, even Barnabas was led astray. And suddenly you can have a whole church that's being swept away by this elitism and we're justifying it and we're going, aren't we all great? Look how wonderful we are. And we're excluding and we're shutting 
people out. There's a powerful pull of being special. Man, we just so need to move on. But perhaps for some of us, that's the challenge. But Paul sees it. And in verse 14, he says, When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, Right, look at this. You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then you follow, cause Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Here is basically what Paul says to, to Peter as he opposes him. He's, he, he wants Peter to see the shocking reality of brand new categories. Something has happened that has blown apart your old categories. Jew and Gentile, giraffe and zebra. Something has happened that's blown those categories apart and transformed them. Now look, this is... Let's let's be really careful with this. You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Has Peter stopped being a Jew? No. But he's now behaving in a different way. Right, come on, let's let's, um, take our giraffes and zebras. Here they are, they've moved to their new sanctuary, giraffes and zebras. Are the zebras still zebras? Yes. Yes, they're still zebras. They're no less zebras than they were before. They're absolutely still zebras. But are the giraffes zebras? No. And the giraffes are not to become zebras. Because the new reality is that it's not now a split between zebra and giraffe like it was. It is now a split between zebra and giraffe and those who are outside the sanctuary. You see, the categories have changed. And what Peter is doing is this no gospel is trying to enforce old categories onto a new reality. Okay, let's, let's work through this carefully. Verse, um, have a look at verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Now look, there's Paul, right? He's, he's almost, uh, teasing isn't quite the right word, but he's sort of poking at, at Peter a bit. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. He's saying, I'm playing into your categories. We who are zebras, not nasty, smelly giraffe. He's saying, come on, Peter, let's, is this the categories we're going to use? Fine. All right, let's think about us then. What is it, Peter, that we have discovered as Jews by birth, people who are utterly zebra-y, pedigree zebras, what is it that we have discovered in Jesus? We've discovered that a person is not justified, right, here we are, justification. I said we're going to be all about justification. We're there. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He just says the same thing loads of times. (laughs) Because he wants us to get it. So let's go back to our overview picture again. What is the no gospel then that Peter is turning to? Right, this is the understanding, as best I, as I can understand it. And I, I appreciate I'm still trying to understand. I'm still working at this, right? It's complex. But essentially, it works like this. The righteous, the, the justified, to be justified, 
To be righteous, that is to be in the sanctuary. That is to be one of God's people. That is to be approved of by God. That is to be a zebra. Sort of. To be in the sanctuary. What does that depend on? It does not depend on the law. The law which needs work. The works of the law. That is the no gospel. In other words, we can have that up on the screen. The no gospel says that the righteous are Jewish by the law. And that the sinners are outside and they're Gentiles. And so if you want to become justified, what do you have to become? You have to become Jewish. You have to keep the law. And so there is something that you have to do to move from being sinner to being righteous. That is the no gospel. Now, if if you're not getting all this, it's okay, because honestly, the whole book is about this. This is what the whole of Galatians is about. So we will do this more. So what is the true gospel then? Well, the true gospel is amazing. It blows apart the categories. And this is what it looks like. Let's have the true gospel up. Now, can you see that there is still the righteous, but the righteous is not now defined by the law and work. It is now defined by faith in Christ. So it is now based, that the boundaries around God's people are no longer getting circumcised and keeping the Ten Commandments and being Jewish. The boundaries around God's people are now Christ. And what he has done, and faith in Christ, and trusting Christ, because he is the faithful Messiah. He is the faithful Christ. Honestly, there's so much more to say about how this works. We're going to see it in chapter 3. But at this point, we just have to understand that righteousness is not by the law, not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ, in what Christ has done. So it is not what I do, but what Christ has done. And this is, right, all those ways we were thinking earlier about trying to be made to feel special, they all rely on what I do. They all rely on my performance. They all rely on me being impressive or me keeping certain rules or me doing certain things to be in the in crowd. Have you been to the right school? Do you wear the right clothes? Do you speak in the right way? Well, you can be in. Anywhere where we put a boundary around God's people that says the people God approves of are these. Peter says that's no gospel. The true gospel is that Christ defines God's people. Christ defines who is justified. And anyone whose faith is in Christ, whether they are Jew or Gentile, zebra or giraffe, it doesn't matter. They are one in Christ. They are justified. They are approved of by God. Are the Jews still Jewish? Come on. Are the zebras still zebras? Yes, we we did that like a while ago. Are the Jews still Jewish? Yes, they're still Jewish, but they're not now defined by their Jewishness, but by their Christness. They don't stop being Jews. They just become Jews in Christ. But the ones who aren't Gentiles don't need to become Jews. And then, 
Third thing, third thing, and um, have a look at this last paragraph, which to be honest, oh, hang on, yes. Um, look from verse 17. Here's the third thing we need to see, and that is um, the stunning reality, the radical reality of a brand new identity. How does this happen? Paul, how can you possibly say this? Verse 17, if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Hang on, Paul. What if, aren't we, doesn't that make us sinners? And Paul goes, yeah, that is sort of what it makes us. <laughs> but Paul is saying, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I really would be a lawbreaker. If I go back to putting the law barrier around me, then I will be not justified. I'll be exposed as a lawbreaker because I can't even keep the law. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And what Paul talks about then in verses 13 to 16, uh, I can't even read the numbers, 19 to 21, what Paul talks about is this new identity. And honestly, this is what I was supposed to spend most of my time on, so I need to do this quickly. But look, Paul says, I have died. Something has happened to me. I have this new identity. Through the law, I died to the law. That law thing, which used to be what I boasted in, it used to be what defined my identity. It used to be what justified me. I'm dead to that now. That is not who I am. That is not what defines me. How has that happened? Well, I've been crucified with Christ. I died with Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for me so that my old way has finished. Because the law could never justify me. The law could never make me righteous. In fact, the law held me under a curse. We'll see that in a few weeks. Jesus has died to that so that I can now live for God. I just get this one verse. If you've fallen asleep, please get this verse. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's who I am. The life I live today in this physical body, the physical body that I'm living in right now as I live and breathe, it's not me as I was. It's now Christ in me. He loved me. He gave himself for me. He loved you. He gave himself for you. He loved you. And he gave himself for you. Don't miss that. He loves you. He loves you so much that he would give his very life to set you free. So that you, whether you are a zebra who is now set free into this brand new sanctuary, or whether you are a giraffe who was far away and was never part of the sanctuary in the first place, has now been brought in. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're male or female, slave or free, he welcomes you. He loves you. And he gave himself for you. And Paul says, you want to know who I am? That's who I am. You want to know what defines me? That's what defines me. And I will sit down and eat with anyone who knows that same Christ that I am. It is Christ that unites us. It's Jesus that unites us. How dare we separate? How dare we look at others and think we're better than them? 
How dare we sort of act as if we're somehow special? If you love Christ, you are justified. You are included. You are part of his new people. I think this should radically change the way that we live, the way that we treat each other, the way that we view each other. And so Paul says, I'm not going to set aside this grace. There's no way I'm turning to the no gospel. This is the gospel I want. And this is the gospel he unpacks. So we need to, we need to finish. We're going to pray. We're going to have a chance to, to sing and to respond and to think together. But I guess it speaks very I guess it speaks very powerfully to anyone here who feels proud. It sort of feels like, well, of course God loves me. If it doesn't surprise you that God loves you, I think it shows that you don't really understand the wonder of his love. So it speaks to those who are proud, and it speaks to those who feel excluded. You are welcome. You don't have to become a zebra. You don't have to become like everybody else. You don't have to adopt all the little rules that everyone else puts on. You just need Christ. Christ is your identity. That sets us free. Why don't we bow our heads and we'll pray. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, please teach us to live, to live in this grace, to live in this radical new identity, this radical new community where barriers and, and suspicions and judgments are set aside because Christ is all and is in all. Father, please, please let us understand what it means to be justified today, what it means to be in Christ, united with Christ. Lord, help us, we pray. Amen.